Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. For today's episode of the podcast, we're showing our support for the Frontline Responders Fund. In order to protect medical professionals around the world, we need to provide them with the necessary supplies. Flexport.org and CAF America are working hard to get those supplies from point A to point B, working with every major trucking company, airline, medical supplier, and everyone in between. If you can, please show your support at GoFundMe.com forward slash Frontline Responders Fund. Link is in our episode notes. Now, on with the show. Hey everyone, Meshroom Talk Money here. Welcome back to The Price of a Pandemic, our series of shorts covering the economy, business, finance, and investing in the time of COVID-19. Things are changing fast, so we'll be releasing episodes as quickly as possible to keep you informed. I want to check in on an update of one of our season one subjects, Bitcoin. Now, before you roll your eyes, just hear me out. The tech, Bitcoin, and crypto communities started sounding the alarm on the coronavirus over a month ago. I started getting my act together around then because of the things I was reading on Twitter from these smart people. Four weeks later, here we are. So I wanted to find out, what is it about their way of thinking that had them so ahead of the curve? And what does an asset like Bitcoin tell us about the macro trends of the global economy? Bitcoin is not yet a store of value, like gold or the US dollar, which people can run to when the stock market is unstable. But can it give us any insight or solve any economic problems long term? I turn to my friend Avichal Gard, one of the smartest guys I know on the subject. Let's get started. My name is Avichal Garg. I'm the founder and co-managing partner at Electric Capital. We are a cryptocurrency and blockchain technology-focused venture firm. Avichal, can you tell us folks in tech and crypto seem to have been quite ahead of COVID-19 before the outbreak? What is it about that community that seems to have gotten ahead of the news and acted accordingly? I think people in crypto basically are especially wired to think about two things. One is tail risk and two is exponential growth. And those are things that for most humans are tremendous blind spots. Most people fear dying in a plane crash more than they fear dying in a car crash. And actually the probabilities are are actually the reverse, right? You should actually be more worried about getting in a car than in a plane. And we also don't understand exponential growth. You know, you don't go to sleep and then tomorrow there's just a tree outside your window that didn't exist yesterday. So our intuitions around this are actually not strong as humans. And people in cryptocurrency are wired to think about tail risk and they spend all day thinking about exponential growth. Um, And that's exactly what something like COVID-19 is. It's this extremely rare outlier event that might cascade into a set of very low probability events. And it only happens if there's exponential growth. And so I think people in crypto saw that early and sort of pattern matched using what they're used to to be able to say, I think this might actually happen. And given everything that's happened in the world with COVID-19, we've seen the price of Bitcoin fluctuate more so to the downside. Can you just describe to us what's happened in the last month? Yeah. So from a price perspective, in the short term, Bitcoin went down uh, pretty dramatically and now has rebounded a bit. You know, I think for a brief moment, the stock market was crashing. Gold went down. Bitcoin went down. And in Bitcoin's case, it looks like there may have been some sort of flash crash scenario on one of the exchanges, which was sort of creating this cascading loop of sell limits getting hit, which was then cascading into more liquidity since that uh, was stopped. 
sort of the prices recovered. I think that was between March 11th and March 12th, Bitcoin fell 50% in a short period of time. Is that what you're referring to? Correct. So the initial trigger for that appears to have been a, a true sell. So for 24, 48 hours, we saw this in 2008 as well. Everybody just runs to the US dollar. You just get liquidity wherever you can. And it so happens that Bitcoin is extremely liquid. So one of the killer features of it turned into the thing that triggered this cascade. And so everybody said, well, if I think about where I have a lot of risk and where I can get a lot of liquidity, well, I can't sell my startup tomorrow. I can't clear out my venture portfolio tomorrow. And so I can pull money from a couple of liquid assets and Bitcoin is one of them. And so there's sort of this desire for US dollars, which then triggered people to sell Bitcoin. And then on one of the exchanges that sort of created this feedback loop of people selling and as the price sort of fell, it triggered a series of sell orders, which then triggered the price to go down further. Got it. And so what we saw was a bit of a capitulation in the Bitcoin markets. Could it go further down from here? Like, how are you viewing this price action? Yeah, it certainly could go down further in the short term. You just never know what's going to happen. I mean, we existed for the last 10 plus years in a period of relative calm. Volatility was low. And so we're entering this new regime where it's not clear what happens with Bitcoin because Bitcoin has yet to exist in this kind of a regime. That's the short term, though. I think in the long term, the thesis has not changed for many of the people who have been in the space for a while, which is that Bitcoin is actually a hedge against an inflationary cycle and a hedge against all the money printing that's been happening for the last 10 plus years, all the quantitative easing, of which we're about to see a lot more. Can you explain like what is going on with quantitative easing and how Bitcoin would be a hedge for that? Like, What does that even mean? Yeah, so what that means is what the government is doing is it's trying to ease liquidity concerns. It's trying to say, hey, look, if the financial market sees up, if Bank A can't borrow money to fund its operations, it'll go under. And if that bank goes under, then all the loans that it's taken from some other institution will go under and so on. And so you'll have kind of what happened on the Bitcoin markets and what happened in 2008. You sort of have this cascading set of failures. So it's a very important thing to have that liquidity in the system. But to have that liquidity in the system means that the government is essentially printing a lot of money. And similarly, I mean, we're going to have this really difficult challenge if all the restaurants and service sector and hospitality sector are shut down and those people are out of work. What do you do? What Congress will do here is they'll actually give people one to $2,000. And so, you know, that money's got to come from somewhere. And so literally what the government does is just creates that money, right? It, it prints that money and gives it to people or gives it to businesses. But in the long term, the effect of that, you know, assuming that the economy comes back, the effect of that is that each dollar is worth less. And that's inflation over time. And the way that ties to Bitcoin is that relative to the dollar, you have a separate ecosystem where you have fixed supply assets. You have things like gold, which you can't just print more gold. There's a certain amount of gold in the world and we know how much there is. And so in that way, owning certain kinds of assets means that if the value of each dollar goes down and the value of that other thing doesn't change, that serves to sort of counterbalance the inflation of the US dollar. And the belief is that because there's only a fixed amount of Bitcoin and there are a lot of people who now hold it, and there's enough liquidity in the system, and it serves many of the same utilities, you know, it's easy to transfer, it's highly liquid, it will start to behave like a hedge against the US dollar. And over time, as the value of each dollar goes down, the value of Bitcoin in dollars will go up. And so how do you see right now, if someone's like, well, if this has been argued about store of value in this critical time right now with world turmoil happening, the price would counter that argument. So I think one... Bitcoin is not a store of value today. It has many of the characteristics of a great store of value in that it's easy to transfer. It's a relatively liquid market. 
it's highly transportable. So it has many of those same properties. And it's yet to be seen if it actually does serve as a true store value. And that takes perhaps another decade for that thesis to really play out. I think the best anybody could say is it is a potential store value. And given, you know, right now the concerns that people have, both from a global health crisis and people's lives are at risk, and then the economic impact of that and people losing their jobs and potentially losing the income that they have, what problems do you see Bitcoin or maybe crypto in general solving? First and foremost, I think we have to address the public health issues. And, you know, at the end of the day, people dying and losing family members, people losing their jobs and not being able to feed their families or, you know, all of the sort of day-to-day problems that the average person are going to have, I think, frankly, are more important than the crypto financial markets. So that being said, I think one of the interesting lessons that a lot of people here are about to learn in the U.S. and Western Europe is that most of the time, all of this stuff works. But when these kinds of tail events happen, things can break down really, really quickly. And if you've lived in other parts of the world, if you've lived in Latin America, if you've lived in Southeast Asia, the African continent, you know that these societal structures are not always stable. And so if you realize that the world can sort of go into this period of instability relatively quickly, you start to think about, well, how would I do the things I wanted to do in a stable world? How would I do those in an unstable world? And very quickly, you realize that actually controlling your assets is a very, very important thing. So, you know, what happens tomorrow if the government says, okay, we're going to shut down the subways, right? You can't have public transportation because it's a public health crisis, probably a right, the right thing to do, but all of a sudden now your mobility is constrained. What if as a subsequent thing, they say, hey, look, people are really, really worried. There's a run on the banks. We're shutting down the banks. This can cascade in ways that it has in other countries. And I'm not saying that will happen. It's all of a sudden people start to think about that as a possibility. And once you start realizing that it's a possibility, people start to place some value on the idea of being able to control your own money and being able to control your own assets. This is why gold is a store of value in so many parts of the world. And now I think what's going to happen as a side effect of this, when we look back, you know, 12, 18, 24 months from now, once we're through the early part of this pain and once we're through the public health emergency, I think a lot of people will say, oh, I understand why there might be a need for something like this. And can you give us an example, like if you were to fast forward from here? Well, I think what it will be is, for example, like if, again, I hope these kinds of situations never happen, but that's why these are the kinds of scenarios that crypto people really think about because we're wired to see these kinds of sort of catastrophic events. What happens if a country collapses because of this public health nightmare, right? The hospital systems get overwhelmed, people are dying, you know, the economy collapses. And if that happens in a Western democracy, not only is it a public health catastrophe, it's a humanitarian crisis, but all of a sudden people start to say, wow, okay, like I can't actually do the things I used to do. This country's currency isn't worth anything. How do I actually buy food for my family? How do I actually try to get transportation out of my country to go somewhere else as a refugee? How do I pay my way there? Once I get there, what do I do? Right? Like all of my wealth was in stocks and real estate and cash in my home country, and that's worthless, do I have to start from scratch? And if that were to happen, the people who are going to have the easiest passage out and be able to actually pay their way out are going to be people who essentially had some access to currencies that were not their home currency. And so, yeah, Bitcoin went down 50%, but if your currency in your home country just collapsed to 0% of what it was worth before, you still have something. And if you were to take a counter argument here, what would you see as the biggest risks to Bitcoin right now? I think there are three major risks. One is technical. 
it's still a technology. And at the end of the day, there could be a bug in the software and something could just make it not work fundamentally. Two is regulatory. Governments could say, hey, this is not a thing that we want to exist in the world for whatever reason. And they could try to stop it. Um, and some countries have tried to do that. And then the third is that the markets may just not support this thesis that it is a potential store of value. And that only works if enough people believe it works. And so if over the next five to 10 years, not enough people come to believe that it can serve this purpose, then it can't serve that purpose. And so there's sort of this market risk as well. And just to conclude here, you know, I see a lot of crypto investors or crypto enthusiasts, they're constantly comparing the performance of Bitcoin with things like the U.S. markets or the S&P 500 or U.S. treasuries. Do you think that's a fair comparison? I don't think that's a fair comparison, and I don't think that's quite the right way to look at it. I think the way to look at something like Bitcoin is more like a venture asset. So again, not even like gold, which is a store of value today, but as a prospective store of value. And that's very much the way venture investors think about it. You invest in a seed stage company or a series A company, and, and eventually, hopefully, it becomes you know, the next Google and it IPOs. And along the way, there are definitely weeks where you go into work and you say, wow, this company's definitely going to IPO. And so that volatility is sort of intrinsic in these very early stage assets, whether it's startups or whether it's Bitcoin. When markets are crashing, when there's uncertainty, people want to protect their wealth. And so people rush to things like gold or they move into cash. Bitcoin isn't stable enough to be considered a store of value yet. It's still an early technology that has a long way to go. But it's interesting to think about the what ifs, especially in the thick of a crisis. Things will keep changing as we slowly find our way out of this mess, but we'll no doubt find new solutions for problems we never thought we'd face. Hope you all stay safe out there. I want to thank my guest, Avichal Garg, for his time. This episode was edited and produced by Olivia Briley and engineered by Maya Terrell. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com for further deep dives and hear other episodes. We appreciate you sharing this with your friends and subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Until next time.